Okay, I'm going to read to you from Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. It's uh, talking about the advance of the gospel. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill the latter do it out of love knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Let's just pray. Father God, I just want to ask this morning, Lord, that you will give us, Lord, open hearts, open minds, to hear what your spirit would say to us today. Lord, I pray that we will not shut off any area of our heart and life to your, either the working of the Holy Spirit or your word. And Father God, I just pray, Lord, all the stuff, I pray you'll feed us out of this word this morning. And Lord, the bits like the bones in fish which don't need to be consumed. Lord, I pray that you will help us separate that out and leave it on our side plate. But Father, let us eat the good stuff, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've been doing this series and I started a series on contending for unity. And I did it because I felt that it is an applicable thing for us as church and where we're at and some of the things that are happening. And, and so I shared that with the church and I spent a couple of weeks talking about contending for unity. And last week I began, um, not a, a subplot if you like, called maturity. Because you see, if we're going to be people who contend for unity, we're going to need to become mature. We're going to have to grow up in him. And it's really important that we do that. And so we started in the book of Ephesians and we considered what Paul wrote to the, uh, the followers of Jesus in Ephesus. And we've clearly seen that God has a plan. And if God's got a plan, then God will bring that plan to fruition. And he's chosen to do this by giving ministry gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists and teachers for the maturing of the saints, basically, for the growing of the saints um, and the equipping of the saints in the work of ministry. And so he has given ministry gifts to the church for that purpose. That plan is simple. He wants to make known in the spiritual realm, and I believe also in the physical realm, that, you know, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And therefore, he wants us to make known his manifold wisdom. So Jesus, when he was ascending to heaven, you might remember Matthew 28, 
Um, most people remember the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. And so part of us growing up and being equipped is with one thing specifically in mind and that is to make sure that the message of Jesus the gospel itself is got out there I actually had looked this up just prior to coming up Tim Keller wrote this the gospel is this that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope for. We have a great message, a message of hope in a world where hope is often missing. And we have been tasked with the, the, the role of sharing that message around. Whether you're in your workplace, whether you are out just in the street, whether it's in your family, wherever you are, we have been tasked with this task Luke, Dr. Luke, reiterates this again when he records at the beginning of Acts. When we started in the Acts, you might remember in verse 8 of chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So not only does God give ministry gifts to the church to equip the church, but he also gives us the power through which we can fulfill the very task that he has given us to do. And so he has not left us in a position where we are not able to act. This last week I went to a minister's training day down in Plymouth and I, there was a guy there called Leon Evans who is in Hales Owen, I think it is, where he, his church is, Life, uh, Life Central it's called, and there was Gary Gibbs who I've known ever, or I've known him since the early, uh, well, no, 80, about 86, 87. And um, so they were talking to us about basically how do we do this? One of the statements that was made on that day was this, Christians need a vision to live for. They need a vision to live for. And that vision is helping people to find Christ and follow Christ. That is the vision and that is the great commission to find Jesus and to come in to Jesus and to follow him. If this is a mission that we want to accept as a congregation then how might we fulfill that and begin to move forward together to do that? We've received the Great Commission. I don't know how many of you not only have received the Holy Spirit at salvation, but you know what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. Well, um, if you like, Luke was talking about that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And if you remember back there, there was boldness. They spoke the word of God. Everybody heard um, the gospel or the, the message being spoken in their own language. So how are we as a body going to help those outside of us at the moment 
both find Christ and follow Christ. And it's to that I really want to address this morning because it does feed into the unity issue and contending for unity. You remember a few weeks ago I said that in the high priestly prayer, Jesus asked that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Why was that? So that all people will know that you sent me. And therefore, for us, it is important that we stand together in unity and we reflect genuinely, for want of a better phrase almost, the Godhead. Not that we're many gods, but we reflect that sense of unity to people who we rub shoulders with. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians and he is talking about how do we need letters of recommendation so that basically you will listen to us? And then he goes on and he says something which I found really challenging very early on in ministry when he says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. We are to be living letters. Living letters. We're talking about putting a Bible in an envelope through every door with, a, a, with a, a, a flyer inside and everything. And at one sense, that's like what we can do. We can post stuff through the doors. But what about if our lives were such that the very way we lived spoke even before we opened our mouth? What if that was the case? How powerful it would be when we then stand and we speak and we share Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. How much more powerful that would be. And therefore, for me, in order to contend for unity, we need to make sure that our lives become living letters which reflect the Christ in who, whom we say we serve. Paul is not talking about just a letter written by a pleased supporter in support of his ministry so that he could get some cash. He is wanting something far greater than that. It's no wonder that Paul says at other times things like this from Corinthians. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The way we live is genuinely, really, absolutely important. And the truth is, what is done in secret might not immediately be revealed, but in time is always revealed. 
always. And if you get away with it, this side, or we get away with it, this side of eternity, I want to tell you, when I stand before my maker, those things that I thought I had nicely stashed away, I may get questioned and asked about. Not necessarily that it will keep me out of heaven, but I can imagine God, I can imagine Jesus standing there, actually, looking at me and reminding me of one or two things and as he gazes at me because his eyes are filled with love that actually it breaks my heart and I begin to weep so every day wherever we are whatever we are doing we are telling the story loud and clear whether we like it or not So when you leave this place today, you might think, well, I've done church this morning and that's fine. But what you may not realise is your life is speaking loud and clear to those people around you. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you go into work, then your your life is speaking loud and clear. Your life is speaking loud and clear to your neighbours. Your life is speaking loud and clear to your family. Your, your life is speaking loud and clear like shouting it from the mountaintops. And we know that that's the case because we, if we've been involved in a workplace, we know what it's like when there is someone in the room or in the place that doesn't really have a very good reputation because of the way in which they act. And therefore, we are aware of these things that this is true. Our lives speak. Our lives speak. And so, when we say we're Christians, followers of Christ, and our lives suck, and then we speak it, is it any wonder sometimes when people outside pay no attention to it? How do we treat our boss at work? How do we treat our employees? How do we treat those we say we love. How? God's love for the world did not stay out there aloof. And so our lives are speaking. Now I want to just give you a little challenge this morning. At the dream day, for instance, what was said was quite clear that we wanted full integration of the projects into church. Full integration. That was the phraseology that was used. What does that mean in this context? Why should we be involved with the projects that we have? Dairy House, Evergreen. Why should we be involved? The drop-ins. Why should we get involved? I know some of you work and so it's not as easy for you to get involved. But for those who might have time during the day or those who have time of an evening, why should we get involved? We should get involved because... We want to help people find and follow Jesus. That's why we should get involved. Why when the adverts go up on on the screen now, or they're mentioned by mouth, for instance, why when we're asking for extra staff for children's or limitless kids or for limitless youth, why is it 
that no one responds. Now maybe it's because you genuinely don't think you've got a ministry in that area. Sometimes you might not know until you try it. It takes more than being sat, wanting something. It takes response and action. God didn't sit in heaven with Jesus and the Holy Spirit having a chat saying, hey Jesus, those people down there, they need some help, don't they? Well, yeah, I know. What do you reckon, Holy Spirit? Well, I'm, I'm with you guys, I do. They, re- they need help. God, I wonder who's going to do that then. God did not stay aloof. He came and got involved. And therefore, we need to see that when we want to share with people and help them find and follow Jesus, it's going to take more from us than just praying about it. And there's nothing wrong with prayer. Nothing whatsoever. The more, the better. There is nothing wrong with that at all, but it's going to take more than that. We need to become involved. We need to become involved. So to demonstrate God's love, to demonstrate the gospel, so that when we speak with our mouth, there is something real to be listened to, we need to become involved. God's love does not stay out there. It comes close. Let's be honest. How many of us this morning, do you believe you've sensed, you, you know, you've sensed God? That's why you follow, are following him. It's because you've had an encounter with the living God. You've had an encounter with Jesus. You know what Tim Keller's on about. You know, we all know we're more sinful than we like to admit. And some of us struggle to believe that we're more loved, accepted than we can ever dare dream. But that is the truth. The reason you're here this morning can't be just because you want to sit in a church on a Sunday morning and listen to me. You know, just can't be. It must be because you've had an encounter with God. You know, God doesn't have compassion fatigue like we do when we see repeated adverts on telly for help. He doesn't have compassion uh, fatigue. He doesn't have that conversation, well, maybe we should just do this. He gets fully involved. He gets fully involved. So... I want to just make it clear, something very clear. There is a concern sometimes that in doing things that we water down the gospel itself. The number of times that ends up being, you know, oh, it's social gospel, it's social, you know. What it is, is it's not the real gospel, you know. We watering down the gospel. No, because the message doesn't change. We still have to talk to people about repenting and turning back to God. 
We need, to, we need to introduce people to the beauty and the majesty of God who gave Jesus to hang on a cross to go through the most horrific death so that we might know forgiveness of sins. Yes, they need to know that he was buried, but on the third day he rose again. They need to know that. They need to know that there is a time coming when Christ will return and call people to himself. And it happens one way or the other. You die and you are either with the Lord or in hell. Or you live and he returns and you're caught up with him in the air and then there is that separation of sheep and goats. One way or the other. They, people need to know that. The message never changes. It never changes. Now, this is not my stuff, this bit. I'm lifting this from what was shared with us this week because I thought it was flipping great. How do we not turn inwards? Because three things about church life that happens with Christians. They turn inwards and it all becomes about us. So everything we do is about us. Our prayer meetings our small group, Bible studies and all the rest of it. Nothing wrong with either of those things, right? There's nothing wrong with this at all. But we become turned inwards and church becomes all about looking inwards at ourselves and making sure that our needs are met, you know? When Jesus, I was reading in Mark's Gospel this morning, let me just share it with you. I was reading in Mark's Gospel this morning, that in verse 20, it says this, then he went home and the crowd gathered again in, in chapter 3, verse 20, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. And there's another place that I can't find now, but that happens twice, where they come along, oh, it's at the end of that same chapter. Here are my mother and brothers. And, oh no, say, and he answered them, no, let me go back. He says, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my, mother, uh, my brother and sister and mother. We cannot be just focused inwards we have to be focused outwards another thing that happens with congregations is they grow old they grow old and there's nothing wrong with age because you need maturity you need mothers and fathers in the faith to help new believers really get hold of who Jesus is, to get into relationship with him and to help them grow in God. So we're not ageist here. If Moses could be used at 80, so can you. You've got something to give. You have got something to give whether you think so or not. You don't get to the end. Somebody keeps telling me, you've got to remember, Dave, ministers never retire. 
Not really. Even when they do retire, they don't retire. You know? So you don't grow old. The challenge, though, in being inward-looking is that we lose all our non-believing connections if we're not careful. We don't have time to spend time with our neighbour. We don't have time to reach out to work colleagues. We don't have time. I would guarantee that if I was to ask the question, and we could be honest, many of us here, how many non-believing friends do you have? That a large proportion of us would have to say we don't. We might have in our families, yes, but friends we might not. Gary Gibbs shared a story this week. He went to... um, Malvern, that's Elam headquarters, 13 years ago he moved into the street and he held a housewarming party and invited all his neighbours in and this guy and his wife from just down the road turned up and came in and the guy ended up saying to him, so tell me Gary what is it you do for a living and he said well if you can guess I'll give you a tenner, this is what he told us anyway, I can't see that Gary give anybody a tenner but you know. I once was told to announce him when he came to our church in Whitley Bay as an international evangelist. When he arrived, I said to him, I said, so where have you been to preach abroad then? He said, the Isle of Wight. <laughs> so, anyway, Gary starts this conversation. So the guy has maybe three, four guesses. And he says, no, come on then, tell me, Gary, what is it you do? He said, well, I'm a minister, a church minister. And he goes, well, I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. So there starts our journey. Two people living in the same street, a minister, a church minister, and an atheist. But these two guys build a relationship. Gary is moving away from Malvern back to Derby and because he's coming up to retirement, so he's already in the process of moving. And then two months ago, Two months only. Remember, he's lived there 13 years. Two months ago, that atheist surrendered to Jesus. Two months ago. But he didn't just see him as a ministry case. He built a relationship with him. He built alongside him. He went out with him to the pub and he had a drink with him. They probably played pool together or whatever it was they did. He invited them round. They ate loads of meals. They had loads of discussions about different things, not always about God. But he built with that man. And 12 years, 10 months later, that man comes to Christ. You see, seeing people come for Jesus is not always the Damascus Road experience. It can take long term. But are we prepared to build in like that? And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. Sometimes we get bothered because we know that the world is an ugly place. We know sometimes that actually religion can be an ugly place. 
Sometimes we go through circumstances and we fall out with God. I've actually sat with someone who said to me over lunch, I've made a deal with God. If he heals me, I will come to church. If he doesn't, I'm not coming anymore. I'll be a Christian and act Christian while it's all nice, but if it gets a little bit rocky and someone upsets me, well, then I'm not going to act like that anymore. Well, let's look at Paul's life, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 26. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, and danger from false brothers. What a list to actually write to a church. In danger. (laughs) How would we react to that? You know, sometimes where we let ourselves down is by our reactions. It's by our reactions. I know that. I know that. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. I know that. You've heard me say before, sometimes I've got stinking thinking and need a checkup from the neck up. But in reality, at least I know I'm improving in that area. How would you respond to circumstances like that? Would you fall out with God, get sad with him? When Paul writes to the Philippians, he's wanting to tell them that Epaphroditus has recovered from serious illness. He wants to encourage their faith. He wants to assure them that he was still in good spirits and to thank them for their continued support. But in that passage, advancing the gospel, see what happened. Paul's life had taken a turn for the worse. He was no longer free. He was incarcerated. And it would have been so easy for him to say, God, I am serving you. Why am I in this plight? But does he? No. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Wow. Wow. That's amazing for me. He doesn't sit. You go back to the Acts of the Apostles, uh, and I think it, what is it, 15 or 16, somewhere around there. He's in the prison. He's got his feet in the stocks. What They've been beaten. And what are they doing? They're singing praises to God so that the prisoners would listen on. Despite the circumstances... Despite the circumstances. You see, sometimes when circumstances, in fact, I would say, whatever circumstance you face and have to face, God will, number one, be with you in it. He has promised that. When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. When you walk through the flood, I'll be with you. When the rivers rage, I will be with you. So that's number one. He will be with us. 
But number two, he will also teach us through it. So whatever your circumstances now, you could be wrestling with sin, you could have fallen out with somebody in the church, you could be feeling tension. But what is it that God wants to teach you in this moment and teach me? Because God wants to teach me something. But when we do fall out, when we don't speak to one another, when we are superficial, when we will not make the first move because we are right, when we put others down, when we demand our rights over others, when we blame, then our living letter becomes messy and hard to read. I love using a fountain pen. I don't know if there's any others here who like using fountain pens. I love using a fountain pen. It makes my scrawny, scrawly writing look so much better than it did before. And so for me, when I use a fountain pen, there's a level of beauty in using a fountain pen. But I want you now just to imagine this for a moment. You have written something, a letter, whatever, that other people are going to read. And you've written it in ink. You've used a fountain pen. You look at it on the page and it looks absolutely beautiful. But all of a sudden you can choose, you drop it on your way somewhere and it's rained outside and it hits the ground the wrong way up for a start off so the ink's down on the wet ground or maybe you've got it on a table and in a moment of madness you knock over your glass of water and it goes all over the paper tell me what happens to the ink what happens to the ink it runs as hard as you try sometimes to save what you have written the truth is, as you try your best to, A, to get it out of the water in the first place, the ink becomes smudged and unreadable. And that is what happens with our lives when we respond in a way that we shouldn't. Our lives become unreasonable, uh, unreadable and often unreasonable <laughs> but unreadable definitely it is no good then going and saying something to other people I really want to bring it to a close because I've run two minutes over nearly three minutes over where I wanted to be so I'll try and bring this to a close you know, Paul says when he's writing, he says this, I entreat you, Dia, and I entreat, I can never say these names, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my workers. There was a small disagreement. You know that Paul or Saul as he was then, and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. I don't actually think that honoured the Lord. I've actually lived through that when I went through a church split. 
And it's not, it's not the right way to live. But I want to just read this to you. Tim Keller, he's a hero of mine probably, if I'm truthful. I love listening to him preach. He was the pastor for, I don't know, 20 years maybe of the church in New York. And he retired. And just after he retired, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Well, only a few weeks ago at 72, he went home to be with the Lord, having had a three-year battle with pancreatic cancer. And this is what I want to read you, because he did an interview, and this is an excerpt from the interview. I was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer in May of 2020. That's a very deadly kind of cancer. And yet I've celebrated my third Christmas with my family. I have had two years of chemotherapy and now I'm on immuno, immune... I can't even say it. Immu, <laughs> therapy, all right. A drug trial and that is working too. So my cancer is still there. Pancreatic cancer can break out at any time and take you and yet we've been able to keep it somewhat at bay for a pretty long time so I'm very grateful you have to constantly have scans and tests and we have a word scanxiety because you know that it doesn't matter how good the last one was this one could show that it's out of control so the low lights are every time you are waiting for the test results that's obviously one and the other is that every little ache and pain that for most of your life you say, well, that's probably nothing. And now you say, is that the cancer? The highlights are, and this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but my wife and I would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life or spiritual life we had before cancer. I really thought that I had a good prayer life. And when I broke through into another dimension, I realized that, frankly, my prayer life wasn't very good at all. It's that idea that here is probably one of the worst circumstances any of us would, could ever face. And here's a man who's faced it, and instead of railing against God, he ends up saying that now, because of this prayer life and the spiritual life he now's had, him and his wife would never choose to go back and not have experienced it. Wow, that's challenging. Never let the circumstances get you down. Persecution, accident, failure, financial loss, rejection, abuse, divorce, poverty, imprisonment, bankruptcy, the loss of a loved one and even sin don't let it get you down don't let it get you down ask God to teach you in it ask God to let your light shine brightly in it look for transformation in it because God is fashioning you 
for something greater than where you have already got. Even for some who might be ambitious, it might not be that you achieve all your ambitions, but I want to tell you, intimacy with God is amazing. So, do we want to share and lead people to find Jesus and to follow him? And are we prepared? Are we prepared to allow God to transform our lives as living letters so our lives speak loud, so when we talk about Jesus, they have already seen Jesus. I wonder, Hannah, could you come back to the piano for me? I don't know. What songs have you got? Something quiet? Have you got... Sorry? Yeah, okay. Um, I do want you to know that God isn't distant, all right? You might feel at the moment what you're going through, that God is distant. I want you to know he isn't. He hasn't turned his back on you. He is right there. It's just that you're allowing the moment that you're in that you can't always see him. I want you to know that he sees. You remember a few weeks ago the lady came and she spoke on the phrase El Roy. He is the God who sees. He's promised to be with you through the circumstance. And although he sometimes delivers people from circumstances, I want to tell you that being in that circumstance for however long you are, I want to tell you that God is shaping you, that your letter is more clear and more clear to read than ever before.